The Six of Cups is a card of friendliness, innocence, and childhood. When it appears in a reading, be thankful for small gestures of kindness and find ways that you can brighten the day of another. If you are having difficulty in some area of your life, tune in to your inner child, that gentle, innocent, and wise part of yourself that has always been with you for guidance. You may be thinking of your past, especially your childhood. What lesson from the past is relevant to you now? It may also be that someone or something from the past that will be useful to you now. Think back to your past experiences for guidance. The Six of Cups can represent beautifying your home or choosing a gift. If this is the case, simplicity and authenticity are key. What do you reckon about that card? Like, what, what kind of keywords poke out or what things make you go, oh, yeah, that's a thing? Oh, uh, jeez. Uh, let's have a little thinky-think about that. Uh, I mean, you know, like, trusting... I, I feel like everything comes back to trusting your gut on this. Like, tapping into your inner child is really kind of just a, a fancy way of saying that you need to trust your in intuition on something isn't it look into it, your I, look into yourself rather than outside influence yeah you know the answer all along you know what that little kid wants i don't rory i really don't <laughs> <laughs> the things that stand out to me is like the the things about like uh the nostalgia and the and the, and the looking inside yourself it's like very reminiscent of a podcast you started about a very specific niche subgenre of movies that only existed when I assume we were both kids. Okay. So that's the thing that I'm noticing. You Maybe, getting any of that? Yeah, okay. Uh, wasn't going to beat around the bush, but uh, you've beat around the bush for me. Yes, definitely. Maybe nostalgia <laughs> has been on my mind. Maybe indulging my inner child to the point of gluttony has uh, been my modus operandi for the past year and a half now. When I started Take a Look Around podcast, a podcast that is an ethnographic intersection into the intersection of new metal and Hollywood. It's an amazing concept for a podcast, let alone the fact that you've done it and done it for so long already. And it's like, oh my God, this thing has legs, you know? <laughs> well, initially I had spent quite a while thinking, God, I'd love to do a podcast. I'd done community radio for about two years uh, earlier in my 20s and I, I missed it. I'm, and I loved the podcast format. I was a regular listener and I, I just avid movie buff since as, l as long as I can remember and I, I had so many ideas for like just single movie podcasts and when I stumbled upon the idea of doing a new metal pod for an episode I was like oh hold on a second if I just say every new metal film off the top of my head I can list 45 <laughs> <laughs> that list has now spiraled into, I want to say, 75 to 85. We are not even at the halfway point now. That's so good to know. And it's a great uh, primer for this episode because I'm going to pick your brain all about it.
Welcome to Fuck You Tarot Lady episode 42. My guest today is Sean Campion. How are you, man? I am fantastic. I've had a lovely day today. Oh, really? Is, is there anything you want to share about why it was lovely? or? Yeah, uh, I, um, I have a really boring day job where I process uh, connection paperwork for electricity connections for like large infrastructure. And it is like the most mind-numbing bullshit. But today, apropos of nothing, I got to process all the paperwork to set up the power for a TV show about Dwayne The Rock Johnson's life <laughs> that is shooting in Brisbane. <laughs> Wait, slow down. You're saying Young Rock is being filmed in Queensland and you gave the okay to give it power. If it wasn't I set you, that it show wouldn't up. Exist. I flicked the fucking switch, baby. I make the trains run on time. I turn on the street lights. I, you know, fucking uh, Emperor Palpatine at the end of Star Wars, zapping fucking Darth Vader with the lasers. <laughs> That's me on a daily basis. <laughs> I would like to imagine that in meme format where it's just like you, everyone else, and just li- like, you know, lightning hands. Yeah, really, it's just like moving a a number from one Excel spreadsheet to the other. But uh, rest assured, uh, the Rock's home of Texas and specifically Austin looks exactly like Brisbane. I've been to both. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like when you think about it, it's not outside of the realms of possibility to shoot it here. (gasps) I'd like to imagine that They've taken all their cues of Brisbane architecture from late 70s Texas. Well, Brisbane architecture is just like stucco demountables. <laughs> we are not a particularly pretty city. Uh, I think the philosopher Alan de Botton called Brisbane the ugliest place on the planet. Wow. Fuck, that's huge. Yeah. When de Botton's on, like on your... Yeah. <laughs> When the bottom's on your case, you're fucked, cunt. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you living in Queensland, hence why we're doing this uh, over the internet here. But let's do a quick little like lightning round questions for Sean to kind of give people the idea of uh, of who you are. But obviously, already people know that you're obsessed with new metal and new metal cinema. But oh, we'll, I wouldn't we'll, say we'll obsessed. I dabble. I'm a very complex and multi-layered individual, Rory. Let's let's dig under some of those layers then and let's find out some more about Sean. So when you were growing up around the house, what was the music that was playing? Like was mom or dad into music? Who played what and what was kind of seeping into your brain? Fucking hell. My dad is so just like such a weirdo that he only ever cared about file formats and uh, the building of stereo systems. So music around the house was pretty limited. We had a couple of CDs that I can distinctly remember that I still love to this day. Uh, Enya and Grace Jones's Island Life really stick out in my mind, but nothing in terms of like any kind of like metal or specifically new metal <laughs> so where did that come from was that was that all from you did you have you've got a brother too right is he younger or older i am a fraternal twin so uh, if chris has any similarities with me which he does he lamented the fact from a young age that we didn't have a brother to pass down any kind of musical 
or even a sister, any kind of sibling to pass down any kind of musical taste. And around the time that we were coming of age and really getting into music was New Metal's Renaissance, this 1999 to 2003 era. So you guys kind of discovered it together as a team, essentially. Yeah, discovering music was, hey, what's going on right now is new metal. So it was like a, a coming of age for both. <laughs> so it really it. does feel foundational for me in a way. Like it does for so many people, I assume. You know, it, it was their gateway to the alternative culture alternative lifestyle or you know well, just, just for not. me it was just it didn't feel alternative at the time like i didn't grow up with music so when i got into music the music that was popular at the time was this rap rock explosion <laughs> it's it's not even alternative it's fucking mainstream for me that's very true it very much was um what about msn screen names did you have like a great msn screen name or, or email address you used as a as a young teen fuck you <laughs> yeah, why I, have i hit a, have i hit a sore spot with this one of course you have yeah i had some really bad marilyn manson ones i'm sure but like, oh, I re yeah, I'm I'm not gonna go into any more details about that. <laughs> Mentioning a cancelled uh, celebrity is probably enough to know that it's yeah questionable in nature. Question what about a bad tattoo? You got any bad tattoos? I am clean skin, baby. I am a pet nat wine. There is nothing on my skin. I'd love a tattoo though. They're cool. <laughs> It's so funny because I'm also a clean skin. So it's really funny when I ask this question. A lot of people go, oh, yeah, i got heaps of shit tattoos that I hate. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to be one of those people to get tattoos and then regret them later. So well done, clean skin. I had a really good idea for a tattoo that my um, best friend stole. I um, really wanted to get a stick and poke of Duran on one leg and Duran on the other. And uh, <laughs> um, my best friend got ABBA, but... AB on one knee and BA on the other, but it was in the ACDC font. It looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so the worst idea is not even yours. It's, yeah. It's a, it's, you just, dodged it. You like Matrix dodged out of the way of that tattoo. Yeah, man. Being, you know. 360 spin, Trinity <laughs> kicking the cop in the face, but it's me just kicking that like uh, sewing needle and pen ink out of the way. Amazing. Um, what was, uh, like, who, if, who was the musical influence then? Like, so if you're just finding this mainstream music floating around in the ether, it's not even an alternative. Like, was there any drive at that point then to find your true calling or like, hey, this is a good gateway to something else? Um, I feel like uh, my interest in new metal kind of paralleled a lot of my interest in uh what's the word in, in like the punk music of the era i was never like particularly like i know a lot of people of our generation fell down that no effects rabbit hole into the kind of the street punk thing that always yeah, like, a, like tony hawk punk yeah that thing I, I was very aware of it from you know uh I want to say Twisted Magazine with all the posters and everything like that. But I think yeah. no effects was, was the limit for me. Like it all felt a little too cartoonish and a little too uh, buff-headed. And so I, I kind of, 
I I gravitated through I probably through Orgy's cover of Blue Monday and Marilyn Manson's covers of like kind of new wave stuff. I gravitated into a bit of like interest in like eighties pop music. And then through that interest uh, and like the kind of the new wave era, I became kind of obsessed with the kind of the alternative to that, which was that real post-punk and college rock alternative scene. And then for quite a while, got re- through that, got into kind of alternative and post-punk and hardcore punk before really just giving up on like any form of that and just retreating into this inner child limp biscuit energy of the past few years it just all got too hard and you've just reverted yeah just just like it all just got you know like too hard to work out what patch was on the back of what person's denim jacket who was who was cancelled who was cool what was is japanese punk still cool uh, uh, or if people moved on to incantation clones nah fuck this i'm getting back in to follow the leader <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent now my next question is what cd did you uh, first purchase with your own money do you remember what that was evanescence bring me to life I don't. Really? They had a promotion through HMV where if you um, saved up 20 uh, 600 milliliter Coke bottle wrappers and handed them in, you'd get a free Sony Walkman from HMV, which wow. is just insanely irresponsible to market to anyone and insanely irresponsible to market to children can you think about what that would do to your insides just drinking that much coke and i and did it just like man. your ears at like listening at full volume discman that you've just bought irresponsibly as a young person yeah that's amazing yes so you so you you got that discman like you used that was your first uh, ever discman? Yeah, I was fucking proud of myself. I thought I had a, achieved something, and that really informs a lot of my work ethic today. That my idea of an achievement is drinking like fifteen liters of Coca Cola. <laughs> <laughs> you did it, baby. You here? Yeah, right. number one. Um, next question is uh, Metallica or Megadeth. Uh, neither. Never got into either. Uh, probably have to go with Metallica, to be honest, because Dave Mustaine breaking down and crying in some kind of monster is one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen a musician do. <laughs> so he gets struck out regardless. Yeah, like, and I mean, like, Metallica have got songs. Like, I think I watched that. Uh, there's a terrible uh, doco on the Bay Area thrash scene th- floating around Amazon, and fucking Cliff Burden is hot, man, and he's cool, and he fucking like died in that bus crash so that his friends could be corny losers for the rest of their lives. <laughs> And I feel wow, like Dave yeah. Mustaine is the corniest of the bunch of them. Like, Megadeth don't even have hits. Slayer have got hits. Anthrax have got hits. What have Megadeth got? Rust in peace? <laughs> in its entirety? 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, fuck. That's a good question. <laughs> oh, what was that one on Guitar Hero? They had a uh, Symphony of Destruction was on Guitar Hero. You could say that was some kind of thing of theirs. Nah, you get shit. <laughs> you get shit, Dave. You got kicked out of the biggest band on the planet, and you have nothing to show for it except millions of dollars and millions of fans. <laughs> <laughs> what an asshole. Uh favorite music video. Uh okay, favorite music video. Um uh, uh Self Control by Laura Branigan. Um it's directed by William Friedkin off the back of that kind of like he'd done cruising and he'd done to live and die in LA off the back of the exorcist and uh the sorcerer so he wasn't like he was still like a big shot in Hollywood but his career was on the downturn and he did the film clip to uh self-control and it looks like fucking shit like the floor is clearly taped down garbage bags and people are wearing like mannequin masks and just like doing ballet around it's the corniest 80s music video in the world and it's just like a director at their lowest ebb of their career it sounds like every art student film ever Yes, it, it it's so bad. Like, you know, it's he literally like probably heard the lyric I live amongst the creatures of the night. It was like, sure, let's do that. <laughs> we'll work it out. <laughs> oh fuck. Uh what about where, worst gig, best gig either played or gone to? Is there like on the spectrum of gigs? Can you remember like a really good gig and a really bad gig? That I've played or that I've been to? It could be either. Do you have okay. any memories? Uh, uh, yeah, I've definitely got memories. Like, uh, best gig I've been to would probably be seeing fucking Integrity play uh, in February 2020, right before the COVID pandemic, and being like, I'm only going to see heavy metal forever now. And then... I have not seen a single band since and have no intention of seeing another one again. <laughs> just like, I just want to sit down. Fuck loud music. Thank God we had a global pandemic. Uh, worst gig we ever played. Uh, Multiple Man played in France, uh, in Paris. Uh, we walked straight off a plane and took like two hours of Parisian traffic to go to this like backstreet venue where we were instantly given like sausages and chips and like a glass of red wine in a pint glass. And I was like, okay, I can dig Paris. This is okay. And then um, <laughs> the show itself was just fucking garbage. And then us and our friends from Texas, an industrial band by the name of Spitmask, got uh, shuffled back to the promoter's apartment building on the outskirts of Paris to get paid. And it became quickly apparent at the Coke party we went back to that only one of us was going to get paid. And he was going to give the Australians the money because we traveled further. And then when Spitmask went to arc up, the promoter brought his two 11-year-old children out to sing Frere Jacques to us. What? <laughs> so that he didn't get beat up. <laughs> oh, man, it 
ridiculous. And then did you split the cash with the band or nah? Uh, yeah, I, I feel like um, we we had needed to spend a shitload of cash just to even get to Paris to get on the next leg of tour because we'd fallen asleep on ketamine in Berlin and missed our flight. And so we really couldn't afford to keep going. So I feel like we promised Spitmask we'd send some cash to them. I can't really remember the details of it. Like, I, I know that they managed to get some money in the end off us and the promoter. But the children singing Frere Jaca like, really stood out to me. So that was the best gig you've ever seen? <laughs> Probably the worst thing I've ever seen. It's like <laughs> a French guy with a goatee being like, my children need wine. <laughs> oh, shit. Let's, uh, before, we get, before we get deep into the pod and, and new metal cinema, let's talk about Multiple Man a little bit more. So that's something that was uh, with you and your brother, right? Yeah, me and uh, Chris, my fraternal twin brother, had an industrial project, Multiple Man. It ran from, I want to say, 20, 2012, maybe end of 2011 through to... We've only really packed it down during COVID just because Chris has been living in New York City uh, for about six years now. And it like COVID was like, it felt like the jumping off point. I'm sure if your listeners are musicians that have done long distance projects before, like there's always a jumping off point in the back of your mind. And it felt like as good of any <laughs> was like, uh, was this one was a global pandemic preventing us from touring or even seeing each other for two to three years. So yeah, that's crazy. It, how how is your brother going in New York? Like, is it mental over there? Man, like I, I he texted me just before I I came on this. He's have a, he's just waiting on the results of another COVID test. I think it's hell over there. I got yeah. very mad at him when things kicked off and he wanted to stick around. I was like, "Yo, Scomo's doing super dull. Come back. You can stay on my couch. We'll go bowling." And uh, nah, he has a life over there. He has a, a girlfriend and a pretty good job. Well, he'll have to just hopefully get one of them jabs soon enough, you know, yeah. disguise himself as an old lady. Jabby, jabby. <gasps> <laughs> so how did that, uh, as, a, as a musical project start, as someone who grew up listening to new metal and then kind of went into this industrial, more electronic music, like where was that evolution? Because what you've mentioned of like your musical taste, it's like, where does that click in you know well we could do this well like i said um i in my like early teen years was really into like the 80s new wave scene that kind of and i flirted around the edges with acts like depeche mode or orgy or even like like early cabaret voltaire and things like that and the human league and so chris and i like right around the end of high school were really into like the local punk scene where in other states around australia like i know that at least back then uh i this would be maybe 2010 20, 2000 
nine, things were a bit more disparate. But in Brisbane, everything kind of gets lumped in together because there's just a lack of fundamental infrastructure to support different music scenes at the same time so if you were going to see a hardcore bands they were playing with a post-punk bands that kind of thing uh they were playing with a psychedelic band they were playing with a garage rock band so we were floating around this scene that was like more or less like open to the idea that new ideas could be presented at any time and mm. what we saw in this kind of milieu was this vacuum for like a synth synthesizer based project and chris had never had always been less punk or less interested in punk but he was getting into synthesizers at the same time i was but from a different a different angle so when we came together and started jamming on it uh like we took on these like interests we had in like early early industrial early new wave uh, po uh like later post-punk and kind of just progressed from there yeah that's fascinating because it's such a cool thing that when i heard multiple men i was like man this is rad this is just coming out of australia it sounds unlike anything i've heard of and anything that you could kind of trace those links back to but it's interesting that it has something to do with potentially the mixed bills of the Queensland scene. That's kind of rad. Well, it's interesting that when we were when we were kicking off, uh, we were very influenced by overseas stuff. But very very quickly, we became like interested in kind of legacy acts for a similar kind of style we were playing. Like one of the biggest bands would probably be Severed Heads from Sydney which were like an incredible act from the 80s that, you know, making a, a like a devastatingly influential industrial sound. Uh, what else have we got? Boxcar, um, Primitive Calculators from Melbourne. Like there is a long and interesting history. Um, it, uh, SPK in particular, massive influence on the industrial scene uh, throughout the 80s would uh graham revel the lead part of spk would progress the band from being kind of this analog tape loop sample project into a more polished new wave dance band before he uh philip noyce took a punt on him to do the soundtrack to dead calm uh, a Billy Zane, Nicole Kidman film. And from that... Oh, I know the movie. Oh, yeah. How good is that soundtrack? But Graham Revell would then use that clout to later build himself to become the sound of new metal films. He did the soundtrack to Daredevil. He did the soundtrack to Aeon Flux. He did the sound... He was responsible for the orchestral strings on Evanescence's Bring Me to Life. So it really all comes full circle in a way. Fuck, that's amazing. <laughs> I've been trying... I've been trying in vain to get Graham Revell on the podcast. Uh, if you are listening and you have a link to Graham Revell, uh, please reach out. He is uh, a massive influence on several parts of my life. Here we go. The, he did the soundtrack to The Crow, Lara Croft, Bride of Chucky, uh, The Craft, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Holy He's all, shit. Yeah. 
Uh, all That's of the amazing. Chronicles of Riddick films. He sounds like a busy dude. And yeah. like you said, very influential within the uh, subgenre of films that you seem to have quite an interest in. Oh, for sure. So let's let's get let's jump straight into this because I want to pick your brain about take a look around. So give me the origin of how the podcast kind of started because obviously you said you'd been these ideas had been kind of floating around. But when was the moment when you were like, "Nah, fuck it, I'm going to get my, I'm going to find a co-host, I'm going to get cracking on this." Like, how did you get uh, uh, AC involved in this? Well, from the get go, I always knew that if I was going to do a podcast, I'd have to do it with Al. Uh, Al. Uh, Alistair Bates, the co-host of Take a Look Around. We'd been friends from as early as Multiple Man, starting around the 2010-2012 mark. And uh, we'd just been longtime friends. We had the exact same sense of humor, uh, a lot of similar kind of background and growing up. And I, I knew that I would be instantly on the same wavelength as Al if we were to do it together as a project. Uh, he was uh, immediately interested, but we baddied around the idea of even just so much as doing it for six to eight months. Like, it, it's it's a, like, how long did it take you to really get Fuck You Tarot Lady off the ground from, like, impetus to execution? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, it, it probably was about the same time. I used to do a podcast with my uh, buddy Matt called Kia Solomon. And we did that for a couple of years. And then that kind of wound down as, you know, things do when you get older and things change. You're like, I don't know if I can be fucked doing this anymore, but I could be fucked doing this still. So yeah. I was like, all right, I'll start a new thing. But in doing a new thing, it's like, do I get another host? Do I do it by myself? Like, how do I get the shit? Like, how do I well, motivate myself to do it? Like, all of those things definitely took months to figure out for sure. And, and like, w walk your way back. Like, back it up. Beep, beep, beep. Let's go back to, like, starting Key of Solomon. Like, I feel like with podcasting, it's different to other creative projects in that there isn't the same kind of need for or existing infrastructure to jump in starting a band you go play with other bands you play at a venue starting stand-up comedy you go play open mic nights you play with other people with a podcast you're throwing yourself out there into the world like with your idea just completely naked wet and screaming aren't you <laughs> <laughs> i've never really heard it in that sense before but yeah i guess you're totally right the good thing about key of solomon many years ago was matt started it first oh. so, he, <laughs> so like i just piggybacked on that like eight episodes in stolen then, podcast valor correct yeah, yeah 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 think of it more as like a bringing in like a robin when he needed it like when he was batman it's like you can't be that all the time you need a little bit of red and yellow you know? yeah debatable that robin is even needed in the first place pal <laughs> 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 oh man uh, that's great so that's kind of how that started and then getting the motivation to do your own podcast was yeah like that's that's a it's a hard thing to be like i'm going to put myself out there i'm going to design the logo i'm going to do this i'm going to have this idea and it slowly evolves and changes over time obviously but just to start and i think the problem is that i think most people who do podcasts if they're like me are perfectionists and you're like oh maybe i'll just wait or maybe i'll wait until i've got this thing or at some point you just got to let the 
you gotta let the bird out of the cage, you know. For me, I I've never had a problem with public speaking, which I feel is the number one thing a lot of people have that they really have this idea they want to get off the ground but they're terrified of just ha- having to hear their voice out there in the world. Uh, I'd done community radio mm. before, so I was like familiar with, you know, how to hold a microphone, how to turn it on, how to plug it in, that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I feel like for anyone listening that is interested in starting a podcast, like it's it's so liberating in a sense that you are able to get your idea across uh, to an audience completely unfiltered. Like I'm really against a lot of this thing that has popped up since the start of podcasting, but is ever present within the world, which is this like corporate world of podcasting, podcast Mm. networks and like companies sponsoring podcasts. I'm not opposed to the idea of advertisements on a podcast and more more power to you if you want to monetize your product. But the idea of needing any kind of financial backing to do this seems alien to me. I, no, I completely agree with you. I think that podcasts felt a bit like pirate radio. And then yes. you get all these like networks and things and like you won't get heard unless you're on some pod network. It's like, oh, that kind of defeats the purpose of the pirate radio aspect where you're just getting on and voicing your crazy opinion on whatever it is or talking to people you want to talk to or talking about movies no one else is. Absolutely. And then that's like your thing instead of it. Yeah. And that's what I think I find so refreshing about your show is because it's just a chance to like dig deep into like you know the teenage nostalgia of all of my favorite movies you know and we we dig deep like i feel like a lot of the people that uh i initially like told this idea to were like oh that's cute and then they listened and they were like oh shit like you guys take this seriously you go (laughs) very very deep into this so how much prep goes into an episode? So if you're obviously it's every episode's about a movie for people who haven't listened to take a look around, go pause this, go listen to one of them and then come back and we can really dig into it. Um, you'll obviously all watch the movie and then how do you get the, like this isn't no IMDB trivia, like you, you've got some really interesting kind of deep cuts to some anecdotes for certain movies and stuff. How do you find that shit? Well, I guess I've always been like a curious and inquisitive mind. For anyone that I, I guess we haven't really like touched on what the podcast does it is a movie review podcast for films that came of error or were soundtracked by new metal artists you you probably know exactly what i'm talking about like we're talking the matrix we're talking daredevil we're talking the blade franchise we're talking underworld we're talking that kind of style over substance era of filmmaking from the years 1997 to 2005 uh that you know dominated our lives when we were between the age between the ages of you know 12 to 13 basically (laughs) like that has all but evaporated from the public consciousness and is kind of looked at as this kind of stain on filmmaking of the era but deserves some kind of 
kind of not necessarily artistic, but a critical eye, as it were. Uh, I guess deep down, like I've, I've for research purposes, like I, I really like to look into uh, who the people making the film was and how that informed a lot of it. We were able to score an interview with uh, Stephen Norrington, the director of the first Blade film, the other day, who really set the yeah, tone. I love that you go on. <laughs> You used like the English voice thing on the podcast, and it was just like you fed it into. The- <laughs> well, famously, so- famously, Stephen Norrington's follow-up film to the Blade franchise was *The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen*, starring Sean Connery. And the experience that Sean Connery had working with Stephen Norrington was so hostile and so violent on both of their angles that it ran both of them out of Hollywood. Stephen Norrington never worked in Hollywood again. And uh, Sean Connery left Hollywood behind because, quote, unquote, I'm sick of dealing with idiots. So initially the first edit of that episode had us using a Sean Connery impersonator. But we decided last minute that that was probably the biggest fuck you we could possibly get to the nicest possible guest we've had. (laughs) And it was great because you asked some really great questions and like even the deep dive in the iconic Blade theme song that we know now as, uh, like, which I always thought was, um, fuck, who was that group that claimed responsibility for that song? Uh, Public something? Public Enemy? No. Because it was like, because it was, because in the interview it says that it was like a, uh, it was like a Joy Division remix. That it, it's it's a, like it's a New right? Order song, Confusion oh, by New Order. New Order. Right. Sorry, yeah. And then the. But pump, then it's that pump panel remix. I'm assuming is what Stephen Norrington called himself for his remix. Pump panel. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was great that you got to kind of dig into that in such a way that you would, being the kind of podcaster and interviewer that you are, and then getting this really cool answer and like fresh a fresh take from a movie that's still so iconic, but like had never had that to me dug out. You know, I found that really interesting. I think something that Al and I both felt going into the project that informs a lot of what we do with it is that we were sick of uh, documentaries and podcasts and interviews about uh, media properties that we loved that skipped the nitty gritty. Uh, uh, Mm. You and your listeners are so familiar with the the idea of a band documentary that's like we were just some kids you know playing two chords in my parents garage and then suddenly yada 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 we're playing stadiums in hollywood and it's like no 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 you're not shut the fuck up tell me more about the yada 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 i want to hear about you getting fucking bust back to an apartment on the outskirts of paris and having a promoter yell fucking to get his kids out to sing frere jaca to you that's the interesting part none of this shit and so that's really what informed what we were interested in covering with the pod yeah so like and Again, so like you, you, you make 
hit up someone like Stephen Norrington for an interview, but then how do you find that information otherwise? Like, is that just from digging internet stuff? Like, how do you find this, these great, you know, little details? I mean, I, I feel like trivia that you just get from IMDB and Wikipedia is the jumping off point. You latch mm-hmm. onto something that you read in there and you're like, hold on a second, that's interesting. And then you just, you push yourself down that rabbit hole of researching through the internet to find out if there's any truth to it or, you know, what was going on. And like the internet is getting worse and worse. We are more and more getting pushed into this three different websites, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So it's getting harder and harder to research things. So you really do have to go in depth. I would say we spend on average a week to two weeks, like just researching behind the scenes outside of our day jobs before we go in. Amazing. Does that involve watching like the special features on the movie on the DVD or Blu-ray like as well? Do you have to it, be... We love the idea of DVD culture because it's so tied in to the era of uh, new metal films is that uh, <laughs> like DVDs came of age at the same time that new metal films did. So the idea of a behind the scenes look at a film is was built around the idea of releasing Queen of the Damned or 13 Ghosts on DVD. So, yes, if possible, we do look into that. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I also like in the show, you'll always talk about your memories of getting the DVD or like where you first saw the movie as well. Because I think nostalgia is obviously baked so much into these movies now. But to hear other people talk about their 12 year 12 years old experience of seeing that movie it's like oh man i remember exactly what that was like when i saw that movie at that age you know well if we want to like work this back into the six of cups that we got at the start of the episode uh that wasn't something that we really like had in mind while starting the pod i always thought of the idea of nostalgia as being kind of a dirty word what's that uh that famous tony soprano quote the lowest form of conversation is remember when and uh (laughs) but like as the pod progressed and as we started to build up a bit of a like a listenership and like our listeners the lookheads they are like they are with us for every episode and they just started hitting us up about stories they had um, from like remembering this film and for everyone it was this kind of like cathartic idea of you know like being able to remember together and like people growing up in small towns we've got guests that are talking about going to see Rain of Fire in Bundaberg and things like that going to see Queen of the Damned in, in Gosford like it it really adds to the charm of these films when you think about these massive stupid Hollywood productions with corn soundtracking them, but you're watching them in the, in Wagga Wagga or Albury. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it speaks to the kind of connective co- connect, whatever, however you want to say, like, you know, it connects us all. The new metal movie connected us all at a certain point in a certain time. And it's like, 
Yeah, like you said, it's a very specifically short window. You you mentioned ninety seven to two thousand and five. Is that a rough estimate, or was the, in your opinion, the last new metal movie in two thousand and five? What was the first in ninety seven? Ninety seven. Uh, the first. There is an earlier film in nineteen ninety five that we're covering on the pod soon that introduced the idea of the new metal soundtrack by the name of Judgment Night. There oh are, yeah, 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 with fucking Emilio Estevez, Emilio. Uh, they there are proto new metal films like The Crow and Spawn, but I would very much call the first ever new metal film like like fully formed as a media product and new metal film is Bride of Chucky. One hundred percent, and we talk about it on the Bride of Chucky episode with Totally Unicorns, Drew Gardner. It's a good app. Um, the last film we've covered quite recently, it's as late in the picture as 2008, and it's uh, Angelina Jolie and Morgan Freeman and James McAvoy in Wanted. Yeah, the, I did listen to that episode. I yeah. had problems because I'm, I'm a big fan of that movie, and that movie was getting, I think, some inappropriate slagging off. <laughs> <that episode. laughs> well, it's funny you mention that because Al and I could not stand it. Nelly, the guest, adored it, and our fans have been furious about the slagging yeah, that we good. gave to that I'm, film. I'm glad. <laughs> It also reminds me of, uh, you mentioned in one of your episodes how you got slagged off by a bunch of Twitter fans because you picked on Corey Stahl. Yes. Uh, Is this the same level? Is this like a Corey Stahl level backlash? Or like how much was the backlash? Corey Stahl had people with 1.5 million followers saying that I should be executed for my opinions. (laughs) I just don't trust bold people, okay? Like, (laughs) it's not a very like... uh, I don't know, trustworthy feature. (laughs) But uh, Wanted is definitely the final film of the new metal rotation because of two factors. A, uh, Wanted came out the same year as The Dark Knight, Taken, and the Hurt and Locker Iron Man well, and right? Iron Man, the start of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So the idea of these fantastical uh, kind of like suspend your disbelief so you can watch a man bend bullets and move through dimensions in the Matrix or a, a black vampire hunter hunting down this unseen leather clad nightclub world of vampires that was out the grounded realistic superhero the grounded realistic spy and was was the idea that was in and on top of that the soundtrack is also made up of Nine Inch Nails, the last holdout of 80s and 90s alternative rock, had finally (laughs) given up the ghost and had just turned in this absolute, just like U2 radio head style just crap fest with with see this teeth. this i gotta i gotta stop you here as well because this was my second gripe with that podcast is that you were slamming the with teeth era of nine inch nails <laughs> and I, I will not have it shorty you can't do that to me That's, i didn't it's a- i didn't know how big of a fan you were of sunburst <laughs> fucking les paul's <laughs> boot cut jeans and tap out t-shirts this is the nah, era. Not his, this is the era. Trist not wearing that shit, man. Oh, you know he is backstage. Uh, he's still gonna <laughs> wear the fucking uh, mesh top 
the mesh fucking like cut off sleeves on stage with the cowboy boots and then he goes backstage and he just changes into like an affliction v-neck and some boot cut <laughs> wranglers and he turns to the rest of the band and Atticus Ross and he's like I just feel just feel comfier this way you know it just makes sense can you pass me my puka shell necklace can you pass me my prayer beads <laughs> Now he drinks Lacroix. That's the that's the meme about Trent Reznor. He doesn't do any drugs or drink, but he drinks Lacroix. You know that man. Like, uh, if you had that shit, man. it's delicious. Well, if Trent Reznor's drinking it, man, like he's loaded. He's got that EGOT money, so he could be he could be drinking some whatever he wants, you know. <laughs> and he's drinking Lacroix. When are they going to bring it over? They brought over White Claw, but it's twenty two dollars for a four pack. <laughs> you need a Lacroix. So we should- yeah, I, I want it here. I want to. I want to live French. You know, I want someone to be peddled out and sing <laughs> I French. I want to live French, baby. <laughs> Paint me like one of your French cans of drink. <laughs> so, all right. So you've got this window. You've got this new metal cinema window, which is a cinema that I grew up watching. Like, that well, was, okay. they, they were all of my favorite movies. You know, Let, like let's talk- turn the tables here, baby. What What's your favorite film of this era? Oh man, um, that's a really good question. I mean, The Matrix was huge for me, as it is for everyone. Like, clearly, the effect that it's had on your podcast and the like, the cinema around it was huge. You those know? are still s- our, those are still our most popular episodes. Like, like yeah. hands down in terms of listens. Like that is just a touchstone franchise for people. It's funny. Like, if I look at the stats and I can see the drop off we get for revolutions, it's massive. Like, it's a couple hundred listens. <laughs> <laughs> people do not yeah, but- like revolutions <laughs> dude i saw it once at the cinema and i think that's the only time i ever saw it and when you were describing it in your episode i'm like yeah that's exactly what i remember just a lot of shooting at the roof and like no actual cool matrix shit at all yeah they, they don't even go in the matrix in that one they go to a train <laughs> station that's it <laughs> <laughs> useless um but yes yeah, the matrix was huge for me i was probably would have been like how old would you have been then about 12 i think i was and we rented it on vhs and my parent like my parents and i all watched it on new year's eve on the vhs tape and then i watched it again the next morning before we handed it back because it's an overnight rental obviously fresh new and uh, it blew my mind. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And I think there's so much of my DNA now that is just the Matrix, you know, so much of it. I watched this interesting documentary the other day uh, by a documentarian I really love by the name of Rodney Asher. He did that. Uh, did you ever watch that film a couple of years back, Room 237, about... Oh, the one about The Shining. Yeah, the conspiracy theories around The Shining. He has a yeah. new one out called A Glitch in the Matrix, which is very oh. similar to Room 237 in that it uh, is about the idea of people believing simulation theory and it's conversations with people that and voiceovers about people's ideas they have that maybe the Matrix is real, that we're living in a simulation. And it has this really interesting coda to the film, which is an extended 15-minute interview with a prisoner who uh, murdered his parents. And his main defense was that the Matrix made him do it. And it's this man describing in real time and details how the Matrix 
warped his brain and caused them to kill his step parents. And it's fucking fascinating from a true crime Whoa. aspect, but also from like, you know, like a just having been such a fan of the matrix and having done such a deep dive on it so recently to see what a kind of influence it did have a kind of a dark influence that's wild yeah i'll have to check that out that sounds great um not the murder part but just how it it, it really did it affected so many people you can see just all the matrix ripoffs that came after that and i'm sure you've talked about them a lot on the show i'm uh who was it? Your guest mentioned how in Shrek, when Fiona yes. does the Matrix kick. <laughs> Alexi Tuliopoulos <laughs> from Total Reboot Pod. <laughs> yeah, that was great because that's such a funny thing that. Fuck, mm. I remember like even Kung Pao had the gimmick yep. where like the cow shot milk at bullet time. And like I was just like, yeah, wow, this has really affected every. And then well, if you look at like Space Season 2, like the Matrix must have come out in Season 2 of Space because there's so yes. many like, Matrix gags and like Absolutely. agent gags. And I think Edgar Wright is. I think he might have some kind of place in this cinema, potentially like extended crossways to the other side, but it's that kind of youth and energy and like DIY attitude that I think bleeds into these movies as well. well. It's, it's like something it's the, we're, we're the youth. It's something we're planning to look at when we close out the pod is where does new metal cinema kind of leave its influence i think like you said the kinetic energy of someone like edgar wright is definitely informed by a lot of things like the wachowski brothers but uh it's most influential in things like the the dc movie something like suicide squad is just walked straight out of 2001 <laughs> that's amazing and that for might better probably, or uh, worse <laughs> like i'm not yeah, saying say, that that's a good movie i'm saying that like <laughs> its energy is just holy new metal so how else would you describe that energy like uh if you could bottle it and you could see it in other movies or you could make your own movie like what is what is that new metal formula what is that magic you know do you have you figured it out after all these episodes oh for sure <laughs> I know how to fucking give my Shark Tank pitch. We're talking. Excellent. We're talking. This is like a kinetic sense of movement and energy to a film that prides style over substance. These are not outside of the Matrix. I cannot think of a single example within these franchise. Blade being maybe like a. A, a university degree or TAFE degree to the Matrix's post-doctorate, but these are not thinking man's films. They are thinking on their feet. These are athletic, kinetic experiences that pride kind of archetypal themes. Like, think about, like, you know, the energy presented in the Fast and the Furious franchise, uh, this heavy sense of editing, speed, uh, leather, gunfights, motorcycles, and the slamming sounds of one Frederick William Durst. <laughs> That's it? That's the whole thing? That's it, baby. I love it. That's amazing. What about something like, have you done, have you done an episode on Equilibrium yet? Is that fit in the new metal cinema? Like it's, it's coming, Kurt... it's coming next month. We, we, we got ah, a guest. Yes! Who, we got a guest that pitched it to us. He's like, I absolutely have to do this with you guys. We're very excited for that one. That's cause I was going to say, that's another one of those, uh, semi tangential new metal films in a way. Like it's got the, 
It's like 1984, but from the perspective of like a 12-year-old boy and there's double gunplay. Like that, they're all the things that would you make metal cinema right. You have 100% just done a better job of me describing it, <laughs> which is a, a, like 1984 described to you by a 12-year-old boy with guns. That is yeah. a new metal film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was wondering where that episode was. Like, I don't think it's there yet. Maybe It's, it's coming, Patreon baby. It's coming. <laughs> That's excellent. So, so, <laughs> so I want to dig back again into the past. So you've you've been gestating this idea. It's been a couple of months. You're like, we're going to do it. How did it start from there? Did you have a couple of episodes figured out, like which movies you're going to do to start this thing off? Yeah, definitely. I knew that I wanted to start with the two most new metal films that I could think of. Like if like The Matrix and Blade are obviously like the tent poles of the idea of new metal films as a whole, but the two films I could think of that most encapsulated the idea was our episode one is Queen of the Damned, shot in yep. Melbourne, starring uh, a liar and uh, Stuart Townsend. Stuart Townsend. Uh, a soundtrack by Jonathan Davis from Korn. Uh, a one-time director who never made a film since. Uh, <laughs> like, these are all, like, leather, like, uh, shot in Australia. So much, we haven't even touched on that in this, is that so much of the new metal landscape uh, is indebted to the fact that there was landmark tax credits on filming in Australia at the time. So films like The Matrix, uh, Queen of the Damned, uh, 13 Ghosts, Ghost Ship, uh, they're all filmed in Australia for, you know, tax purposes. And so the very, like, idea of, like, Australian culture is, like, kind of, it, it's tied in a way to this. In that, it, like, I think an example, like, a lot of people, like, I, I could tie it to was the fact that, like, when they were starting out, Blink-182 were making platinum records in Australia before they even cracked the top 10 overseas. Like, huh. yeah. Like, Australia just, it, like, tapped into this energy before anyone else did with the new metal films. That's amazing. Because like, even wasn't Mission Impossible 2 shot in Australia as well? That's That was the other film I was going to bring up. That's number two. Yeah. Queen, episode yeah. one, Queen of, Queen of the Damned. Episode two, Mission Impossible 2. It's got those amazing sequences shot around Rose Bay where he's firing an Uzi while doing a wheelie on a motorcycle. Like, oh, it's absolutely... Richard Roxburgh is the bad guy. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, man, and he popped up. Wasn't he Dracula in Van Helsing as well? Like, he's had a crack. Uh, a few people have pitched this to do Van Helsing, but I don't know if I can do it, eh? <laughs> 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 it looks fucked. <laughs> man, you just got to think about Hugh Jackman in that hat, man. You know, like, if it's set in the, if it's set in the olden times, it'd still have a bit of a new metal soundtrack, wouldn't it have? It Probably. Have. I think so. I think, uh, speaking of Hugh Jackman, the most fun I've had doing this podcast was watching Swordfish with Hugh Jackman and John Travolta. <laughs> that is... If you walk away from this episode with any film in mind to watch, like, watch Swordfish. It's just the dumbest thing you have ever seen. <laughs> 
Which is funny because I think as a 12-year-old kid, I thought it was the coolest movie I've ever seen, which yeah. goes for the metric that it probably is terrible now because I also love Mission Impossible 2. Yeah, massive Mission Impossible head, but two is... (laughs) Oh, boy. That's a stanker. (laughs) Who did did the film clip for the the Mission Impossible Limp Bizkit crossover song, Take a Look Around? Do you know who directed that film clip? Was that someone in the Hollywood system? Was it John Woo? Let's find out. A few directors have gotten their starts in new metal film clips. Uh, Mark, (laughs) Mark Webb who did those awful Andrew Garfield Spider-Man films, got his start directing POD film clips. <laughs> <laughs> I think he did some AFI ones as well. I think he was a bit of a heavy hitter in the alternative music video world. Mark Webb, we salute you, big dog. All right, I'm looking it up now. Take a look around music video. Because if I remember, if I remember that clip correctly, which I do, it's like they're all doing like Mission Impossible stuff in a diner, right? Like they've got it's missions, so they're split screen, corny. like people are, Yeah, like I'm, I'm assuming someone got paid like millions of dollars to make that. Yeah, like, and it, it starts with uh, Mr. Durst, your mission if you choose to accept it, and it's like, oh brother, let's have a look who directed this. <laughs> Okay, scroll. Oh, directed by Fred Durst. <laughs> what? Directed yeah. by Fred Durst, the ultimate new metal director. The, uh, I forgot he he directed a lot of those early um the, a lot of those early Limp Bizkit film clips. He's always like we covered this. We did a whole Patreon series on Fred Durst as a filmmaker, uh, covering his work <laughs> with his music videos but also his filmography uh like word to the wise it's fucking dog shit until you get to his 2020 collaboration with john travolta and devon saw a film by the name of the fanatic which is honest to god one of the best films i've seen in the last two two to three years it is a phenomenal performance from john travolta and like i would call it like a level of like uh connection between director and star that has only really been rivaled by the safty brothers and and adam sandler on uncut gems like this is this film has to be seen to be believed uh john travolta as a as a mentally handicapped super fan of an action movie star that turns into an obsessed stalker i cannot stress how good this film is so do you just have this wonderful uh mental image of john travolta and fred durst on set like just talking shop and just hanging out in between takes Oh, for sure. And like, if anything, something I didn't think that I'd find myself saying uh, in recent years is that I think that John Travolta is extremely underrated. But like, (laughs) watching him in Swordfish and watching him in The Fanatic, I'm like, oh my God, Nicolas Cage has been mean to death. Let's fucking do Face Off 2 and let's get John Travolta back in the pitch. I would love a sequel to Face Off. I would love Face Off. Too. They're doing Do it. Uh, they're doing what? it. What? Uh, Adam Wingard, uh, director of Tomorrow's. Oh, like the, um, of the guest? Yeah, the guest. Uh, he did Godzilla vs. Kong that I'm going to go see tomorrow. 
uh, he's doing it uh, with his writing partner for the guest, Simon Barrett, who was oh. extremely rude to us when we asked him to come on an episode. <laughs> oh, because he was on an episode of Red Letter Media on YouTube. Really? Talking about, yeah, he was talking about the guest. And I was like, wow, that's cool that they got him to come in and talk. Why hasn't he come talk to you? Why was he a dick? Uh, we did an episode on uh, The Book of Shadows, the sequel to, uh, what's it called, Blair Witch. And we just wanted to get some sound bites from him about what it was like to make that Blair Witch reboot that him and Adam yeah. Wingard did. And uh, he was just like, I get what you're going for, but I'm extremely not interested. And I was like, well, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I was extremely not interested in checking out that Blair Witch reboot. Yeah, man. fuck that. <laughs> Trying to sneak it under fucking raps, calling it the forest. I know what you're doing. Yeah, I'm still very we're... excited for Godzilla vs. Kong, though. It looks great. Yeah, I didn't even realize that came out. Like, that's out now, right? Yeah, I got tickets to go see it tomorrow on an IMAX screen, man. I'm going to get oh. slizzard for the lizard. I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm Godzilla gang all the way. <laughs> but Kong has like an axe in the trailer. So it's like, I kind of want to go with Kong with an axe. Yeah, but like, come on. Kong is just like a big simp, man. Like he like, he like strikes <laughs> out with this girl. He, so he like goes off it and he fucking climbs a tower and he gets shot at and he dies. Cause of like what zero pussy does to a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see how we go. We'll see who, who comes out of this uh, once we go both see Godzilla versus Kong. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be great. I'm excited. I am excited as well. Huh? I'm very excited. I'm, I'm still hovering on the IMDB page for Take a Look Around, by the way. I just noticed that DJ Lethal's real name is Leor Diamond. <laughs> Did not know that. <laughs> See, this is the kind of stuff you, you got to research. You got to find the deep cuts. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, I also wanted to talk to you, which we forgot to mention at the start of the show. You said you had a tarot related story that was pretty creepy. I uh, that did. We talked about on air. Can we jump into that? Can you tell us about what I, happened there? I'd call it less creepy as much as if we want to like circle back to the Six of Cups there, where this is kind of like an example of of someone bringing a guest a, a gift to me and blessing my house. In that, when we were on tour in, uh, I think we did about three or four American tours. And we did Philadelphia, and while setting up, the DJ for the night uh, introduced themselves to me and said that while not DJing in between bands, they were going to be setting up a tarot booth uh, down near the DJ booth. And I was like, oh, can, we, can we get something going now? And they did my, um, my tarot for me. I'd, I'd never had it done before. And uh, it, uh, from memory, this is maybe like three or four years ago now, it was that I'm not going to be in any position now where it's going to happen, but something in my life is going to happen that is going to provide a way for me to be financially stable doing a creative passion like further down the line and i was of course like no i want it now give it to me now <laughs> <laughs> like i barely have enough money to get a cheesesteak in philadelphia after this like can we like w like let me flip another card is there like a fast forward card we could get to well fast forward to two years later 
and uh, Chris, the other half of Multiple Man, was uh, DJing in New York City for the girl uh, by the name of... Uh, she does an act called Void Vision that had put on our Philadelphia show. And the DJ had come along with her. I, I, I wish that I could remember his name. I, I really can't for the life of me. And he remembered word for word his tarot reading and repeated it to Chris and asked if it had come to fruition yet for me. And it was mind-blowing because I still at this point remembered it, but the idea that some someone else had that much vested interest in a complete stranger two years later to see if it had come true. And it had? What was, what was the job that you got that was able to fund your creativity but also by being a job what was that job uh probably jack shit it hadn't come true yet uh i have had some recent wins gambling but uh, <laughs> that has uh <laughs> done fantastically for me but uh at that point i was just blown away that someone had shown that much vested interest which i guess brings me to that six of cup thing that i feel like they they brought me a gift and if if it took five years to get to the point where I am now, four years to get to the point where I'm betting on Dustin Martin winning two Cameron Smith medals in the AFL and making a few grands, then sure, why not? I'll do a tarot wow. reading. <laughs> so you're just letting the universe just give you those opportunities. That's the, that's the secret, right? Yeah, I guess so. Like, I, like I've, oh, I've always been of the opinion that, uh, like, I... I talked about this earlier that the idea of like going through appropriate channels to me has never been particularly interesting. Like I've always been a very do-it-yourself kind of guy. So like in musical and creative projects, that's something that I really do on my own. The Like you said, the pirate radio aspect of podcasting was super interesting to me and like i've always been of the opinion that you shouldn't make your creative project your day job because it needs to stay creative and you need to fund it yourself yeah so, so that it doesn't get corrupted by the need to monetize it the need to stay afloat Yeah, that's a really good uh, piece of advice because I think anyone who's experienced that burnout when they try and make their side hustle, their main hustle, it becomes a bit more of a chore. It becomes like, oh, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. And you like have to hang it up in a way. I have friends that are incredibly successful and I'm so not envious but proud of them for being able to turn their side hustle or their passions into into a day job for themselves but it's it's it, i'm not saying this is like a something i'm uh, preaching to other people it, it's a personal belief i feel yeah. that like i'm not i'm built different give me my give me my day job so i can pursue my night job of yelling at al about mission impossible 2 <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, let's uh, let's head into the lightning round ending questions because there's a couple of questions here that I would love to get your opinion on of or course. your thoughts on. You know, some with the with the guests, it's always like, I wonder what we're going to say for this, but for you, I'm really excited for some of these. Okay, so let's jump into these. Um, Let me just have a sip of water. Oh, you go for it, man. Oh. 
All right, how are you, okay. how are you feeling? You ready? File when ready. <laughs> so, okay, first question, analog or digital? Analog or digital what? Everything, anything. You Are you an old, warm, analog kind of man or are you a digi boy living in screens, living in uh, the Matrix? Once upon a time, I was like, uh, what's like real analog purist and I woke up to myself like, fuck, man, you need some apps, boyo. Get on that app train. <laughs> no, nah, I'm a digital boy. Like, I can't live without my little screens and my big screens. Maybe <laughs> maybe both at the uh, same time. You... What was that? Sorry? Maybe both at the same time. A little thumbing around oh, on the yeah. phone while the movie's going. Oh, delightful. <laughs> <laughs> what time did you wake up today? Uh, 6.55 a.m. What was Sorry, the last no, 5.55 oh. a.m. Whoa, whoa, slow down. What, why is there a difference in time? What happened? Uh, because I had to go to work. I work very early <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> I turn the lights on. You ever notice how the lights are on when you wake up? <laughs> that's you. That's so, you doing that. That's me. It's not some Keebler elf-ass motherfucker. That's a real-ass person <laughs> that you were listening to. <gasps> <laughs> what was the last thing you read? Uh, the Forever War by Joseph Haldeman, a 1970s science fiction novel. Dude, uh, I've read that book. How good is it? It's I, I picked it up in a backpackers in like Cambodia and I like read the whole thing in two days. It was, it, yeah, it's a great book. It's fascinating that a book that's really like a parable for the Vietnam War would just be sitting in Cambodia. Maybe that's why someone left it behind. They were like, I'm embarrassed yeah. for being a white person reading this in Cambodia. <laughs> no one will ever know though. It's about spacesuits and space time. And I just like the way that it dealt with time and travel, mm-hmm. like space travel and the, and the suits and stuff. It was all really cool, it's like grounded science. Shit. It's phenomenal. Have you heard of the three body problem at all? The book? No, talk to me. It's a Chinese uh, science fiction novel from a couple of years ago. It's it's quite prestigious over there and in sci-fi circles. They're turning it into a Netflix series, so you got to get in quick before they ruin it. But it really feels like a more philosophical take on the Forever War. Like it's oh, set cool. during the Chinese Cultural Revolution and uh the and the far-flung future and uh in outer space and like how all three of these are impacted by each other i don't want to give too much away but if you love the forever war uh this is like a really like interesting philosophical take on it that's awesome. Did you hear that Channing Tatum was going to make a Forever War movie at some no, point? No, he's my favorite you... actor. White House Down really? is like my favorite movie on the planet. Oh, yeah, God well, damn I... it. So I read that there's talk that he bought the rights to the book or something. I think I'm almost positive. We could double check he's that. But I remember... so cool. You know, he feeds <laughs> his horse beer. I did not know that. No. He owns a bar on Bourbon Street in New Orleans called Saints and Sinners. He's so cool. He has his own tequila brand. Fuck, he's so cool. Oh, my God. I, you've blown my mind telling me that. Well, I remember when I... Because like after I read the book, I saw there were some sequels and there were some half sequels and whatever. And then, yeah, I read that. I was like, man, why hasn't this been p- picked up by some Hollywood producer because it's such a great script like it would it, i could see the script you know like yeah. it'd be so cool 
But then maybe too many other movies had gotten in and done a lot of those themes first. But it's like, that doesn't stop Hollywood from like buying that shit up and turning it into movies. I think the movie that encapsulates the tone of the Forever War the best is the Tom Cruise movie, The Edge of Tomorrow. Like that yeah, captures totally. the like the violence of it, but also the like the sadness in that book really well. Yeah, and that's a little bit new metally as well. Yep, for sure. Just got some bleed in over there into Edge of Tomorrow for sure. That's excellent. Uh, next question: uh, What's your first memory? Do you have a, like any specific memories from when you were really little? Uh. Always Take the Weather With You by Crowded House playing in my mum's Honda Civic. Awesome. That's amazing. Um, are you a tea or a coffee guy? Uh, coffee uh, in the morning, tea in the afternoon. Love the rules. Very strict rules there. Big uh, Virgo. Everything's thing- <laughs> got to have rules. <laughs> <laughs> what was the last thing you cooked? Uh, I made a chicken salad wrap last night for my girlfriend's cat's 17th birthday. So, did that mean the cat ate the chicken wrap? The chi- the cat had some of the roast chicken. It's her favorite. <laughs> I love that when we were organizing this podcast, you were like, I can't do it on Wednesday because it's my girlfriend's cat's birthday. Yeah. I'm a Virgo, man. <laughs> Everything's got to have like rules. A- is that... <laughs> Is that a euphemism? Like, I didn't understand. I was like, maybe that's something that I don't get. But it's no. like, oh, no, you actually just did celebrate your cat's birthday. If you book something with me, I will turn up. I am not a flake. If it's a cat's birthday, <laughs> I will be there. I will pencil it in. I will tell people that I cannot attend other events because of it. <laughs> that's, you can set your watch to that. I like that. I can appreciate it. Uh, if you were reborn, who or what would you like to be? Channing Tatum. <laughs> uh, what inspires you? Channing Tatum. <laughs> what was the last record you played? Oh, uh, uh, probably one of my own about three years ago when I was an analog boy, just to check it wasn't warped. <laughs> before I told them that they could press more of them. I, I really like, like there's, there was a time and place to release records and I feel like I'm sorry to any analog or vinyl purists out there, but like I was strictly in it for the money that you guys were paying for these bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Uh, who do you love? Uh, my girlfriend, Erin, if you're listening to this. <laughs> are you more of a Batman or a Robin? There's been some controversial talk earlier in this podcast. You think Robin doesn't need to exist. So does that make you a Batman? No, I'm a Robin guy. I always was as a kid. I was a big fan of uh, Batman Forever. For Christmas, my girlfriend bought me the Batman Forever mar- uh, mugs that everyone g- grew up with that you got from <laughs> McDonald's or KFC. And, uh, yeah, I've been drinking Fanta out of those to kind of uh, get all six of cups up in it and inhabit my inner child. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. Uh, What movie could you watch every day and not get sick of? Uh, 1995's Hackers with Johnny Lee Miller, Angelina (laughs) Jolie and Matthew Lillard. 
Uh, I think it is a perfect film from front to back. And I watched it. It was the... I went to a Steiner school and instead of like, I don't know, like Free Willy or Air Bud, that was the rainy day movie they put on. And I think they raised some really fucked kids because of that. (laughs) That's wild. It's insanely wild. (laughs) <laughs> that's the thing that you like. Yeah, just give that to the kids. Like, not Space Jam, not like anything else that's you know so wholesome and child yeah. friendly. Not the little Indian in the cupboard. No, we're gonna watch a movie about <laughs> uh, criminal hackers taking on a vast criminal conspiracy, fucking and sucking along the way, and rollerblading. Worst of all. <laughs> Oh man, I saw a, a guy rollerblading past us on Northcote today, and I was like, "Wow, this is—it's back! Like rollerblading is back. It's back, babe. Well, you live in Melbourne; you can do that. There's no hills. I can't even walk uh, anywhere in Brisbane without breaking a sweat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're only going down in the rollerblades; you're not going back up. Yeah. Um, all right, we're moving on to the Patreon questions now. Uh, which what was the first MA15 Plus movie you ever saw? Can you remember what that was? Cold Fusion with Keanu Reeves. Uh, it was the director's follow-up oh, to... Um, Chain Reaction, you mean? What did I say? <laughs> I think you said like Cold Fusion. Yes, Similar. Chain Reaction. Because uh, it's about Cold Fusion, isn't it? I don't know. No, that... Yeah. 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 Uh, Chain Reaction with Keanu Reeves to follow up to The Fugitive that tanked the guy's career. I remember being so unbelievably excited to watch an MA film uh, with my dad in a motel room in Kempsey on the business trip he was taking interstate. <laughs> and it was like the most boring film I had ever seen. <laughs> Um, if, uh, oh, if you were a dessert, what kind of dessert would you be? Banana split. Fantastic. Uh, favorite piece of merch. Is there like a, a, a band shirt or a movie shirt? You guys made movie shirts, which are amazing. Is that like your favorite piece of merch or is there something else that takes the cake? Ah, uh, favorite piece of merch. Uh, shit. I have something good for this, don't I? I'm sh- I, I, I collect... Oh, yeah, no, actually, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, when I was a teenager, a friend of mine bought me a woodblock, like, movie cinema poster of Robocop 2 that I've just mounted Whoa. on every wall, like, just carried between sharehouses and now into my apartment. Like, it's, it's thoroughly repellent to women and strangers, but <laughs> I will take it with me everywhere I go. It says, think it over, That's creep. Awesome. It's fantastic. It weighs about as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's sick. Um, if you had to live in a horror movie, which horror movie would you live in? Fuck, what's one where nothing bad happens? You know, one of those psychological horror movies where you could probably just, like, deal with it. Like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, like, thinking, like, you know how, like, people always melt down in psychological horror movies? And it's like, bro, have you ever worked at a call center? Like, you're going to be fine. <laughs> 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 have two Valium and Excellent. a beer. You're going to be fine, dude. Uh, I, I, okay, I'm going to live in Scream because, like, I'll know the rules and I'll just be one of those guys that at the end of the movie, they're like, yeah, let's we're drunk, let's go TP the house and they just leave while Ghostface kills everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you get back and all your friends are murdered, but You're it's like, fine because you didn't die. bugger, we shouldn't have split up. 
<laughs> um, if you had a gig TARDIS and you could go see anything, anywhere, anytime, what kind of gig would you go to? Uh, is oof. hmm. Oh, I know. Uh, I was like thirty seconds away from buying tickets to see Tangerine Dream. Uh, play the soundtrack to Sorcerer at Melbourne Music Hall or Melbourne Cathedral, wherever they have the big organ at. And I didn't because I was like, oh, they'll play again. And like, uh, Sorcerer is not my favorite movie. And then I rewatched Sorcerer Remastered and was like, this is phenomenal. And then like a week later, the guy from Tangerine Dream, Edgar Frost, died. And I was like, fuck, I blew it. All right. Well, once we get you that gig, Tardis, you can go. Then you can see. You never have to worry about that again. Also, you'd be able to sit down at that gig. Big, big one for me. <laughs> at this at this point in time, you have to just be sitting, which is important. Oh, one of my legs is longer than the other. I've always just preferred sitting down. What? Really? Yeah, like half an inch. How did that happen? Like, is that in the womb or like my is brother that from, like, has the same thing? No, my brother has the same thing. Like, it's just like bad genes, baby. Like, standing up wow. sucks, man. Like, if you go to sit down, like life rocks. The idea of moving into your thirties is n- not to do any more standing up. Like, I just got there earlier than everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, what is your favorite shapes flavor? Uh, barbecue, but. Um, here's where I get a little weird with it. Uh, I call this, uh, hillbilly nachos and it's dipping barbecue flavored shapes into Philadelphia cream cheese and it will change your life. (laughs) Whoa. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm into this. It's mind blowing. Thank you for sharing. And... Famous last words. Is there any quotes that you like or something you put on your tombstone or you would tattoo on yourself if you finally got those tattoos? Uh, I, I, I have no idea, to be honest. Um, uh, don't you dare ever forget about me. <laughs> and like an exclamation point and a frowny face like carved into the tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Uh, t- tell the people where they can listen to your podcast. Tell us, tell tell them all about it. If they haven't been sold already and gone and listened to it in the middle of this show, how can they go listen? Take a look around. Take a look around is available on all big podcast platforms. We are also on SoundCloud. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter as Take a Look Pod on Twitter and Take a Look Around Pod on Instagram. We update almost every day. Like we have a ludicrous amount of content to mine, and we love sharing it with people and building up a listener base. Uh, you can also find me on both as Zero as a Limit. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to reach out to like-minded people. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on this show as well, by the way. I really appreciate you coming in and chatting. You're welcome, Rory. It's been a pleasure. Hey, welcome to the Post Ramble. Hope you enjoyed today's episode with Sean Campion. Um, please go listen to Take a Look Around. It's a great podcast that I really enjoy it and I hope you will too. 
Uh, the links are in the show notes. Uh, oh, and I got a link tree. You know, link trees, I thought that was really hard to set up, but it turns out not that hard. So <laughs> there's a link tree now on Fucky Tara Ladies Instagram where you can check out the podcast in the three main ones, I guess, now. I don't think people talk about Stitcher anymore. So we've got Google, Spotify, and iTunes, and a link to the Patreon. So if you want to support the show, you can for as little as a dollar a month. So thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you guys have a good, long weekend. Easter times, yeah. Uh, Go eat some eggs, and I'll see you for the next one very soon. Cheers.